This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here and welcome to tonight's Ingles On The Beat. And uh, we're here to talk about the year of the dog. Uh, Matthew Stafford finished it off last night in the Super Bowl. What an exciting game that was, 23-20. to 20. And, uh, man, you know, I was entertained throughout. I don't know about you, but I would say that's probably one of the most evenly matched Super Bowls that I've watched. I wasn't really sure who I was rooting for, right? I know a lot of Georgia people, obviously rooting for Matthew Stafford, former Bulldog, you know, comes out of 12 years with the Detroit Lions, goes to the Rams, leads the Rams to the Super Bowl. And what a great story that was for Matthew and his and his wife, Kelly, and and for, you know, the, the dog nation. You know, part of me really likes Joe Burrow, right? I really respect what Joe Burrow's done. The Cincinnati Bengals, I mean, everybody loves an underdog, right? If you'd have told me that the Cincinnati Bengals were going to be in the Super I'd have given you 50 to 1 odds. I mean, how in the world were the Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl? And did anyone else have this thought? I, I probably... This is where I start getting a little cynical, but part of me was like, are these really the two best teams in the NFL? Right. I don't, I don't think they were, but they were the teams that played the best when it mattered the most. And so my thought is, you know, could this happen in college football? I mean, if you could have two teams like the Rams and the Bengals eat their way through playoffs, maybe if we went to a 12 team playoff, you know, other teams could slide through Anyway, that was just kind of a sidebar thought. Kind of want to talk more about the Super Bowl tonight. I want to get you all's thoughts about it. Uh, certainly, I love the comment section. I love the way you guys bring a lot of things to the table. I'll start out with this. Sometimes I think quarterbacks are named MVP when they aren't deserving of winning MVP. There's plenty of examples of that way in the past and much more recently, in my opinion. I thought last night was an occasion where Matthew Stafford deserved MVP honors. Now, I know that Cooper Cup had, you know, nine catches and 80 or 90 yards and two touchdowns and all that. But Matthew Stafford had so much to overcome last night. He's missing two of his top three targets, right? Tyler Higby, the number two target this year, tight end, he scratches on injured reserve on Friday. Then you lose Odell Beckham Jr. in the second quarter. And you even lost your backup tight end. You were down to your number three tight end. On top of that, your running game is giving you nothing. 19 carries for 31 yards for the Los Angeles Rams running back. That is a huge fail. So your running game isn't going. You can't get the play action going. You're missing two of your top three targets. And people will say, well, Matthew threw two interceptions. Well, yeah, but the first one was a third and 14 in the end zone. That was harmless. That, that was just like a punt. That was a good gamble. That's a smart play. I think take a shot at the end zone. If they pick it off, fine. It's like you're punting. Um, the second one went right out of the guy's hands. I mean, it was a great throw. Stafford throws him open. The guy has it go out of his hands. It's probably why he's a backup tight end in the NFL. So I don't put either one of those picks on Matthew Stafford. And with the game on the line, he drives you 15 plays in 79 yards, makes the right read on the Bengals coverage, goes to the hot route with Cup. They read each other's minds. They see Eli Apple's playing inside out. So they know that the hot is going to be a fade to the outside, outside leverage. So, I mean, I just look at this and I go, look, that's an MVP performance. 
Cooper Cup had a great year. He had a great year. He was the NFL's Offensive Player of the Year. He led the league in receptions and yards and touchdown catches. And that's all great. But Matthew Stafford was a key to all that. And, and I wrote a story about that, um, you know, making that case, you know, it, because there's a lot of discussion whether or not Matthew Stafford is a Hall of Famer right now. There's a lot of reasons to argue that he is, you know, how quick he got to 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 yards. He has a Super Bowl. You see Richard Sherman, the former Fort, you know, note, noted for his time with the Seahawks, you know, debating it, saying, look, he's not a league MVP. He wasn't even the MVP of the game. He's got a career losing record. Prior to this year, he'd never won a playoff game in 12 years with the Lions. He wasn't able to lead that franchise to a playoff win in 12 years. Um, you know, I, I can see both sides of it. And my thought is this to be determined TBD like right now I'm leaning that he probably wouldn't get in. It's not my vote. I'm just basing it on the past, but I think if Stafford has a couple more years, uh, a couple more signature moments with the Rams, you know, I think then he could get in. I, I can see the argument both ways. Uh, like I said, I personally think he is a Hall of Famer, but I think he's got more work to do. Um, I don't think right now, if he retired right now, that he would go in the NFL Hall of Fame. It could be wrong. Right? You know, the, the, the NFL folks vote on that. Um, it's not as simple as winning a Super Bowl to go in the Hall of Fame. That's why I wish he would have been named the MVP. But here was my point uh, on Cooper Cup. And, you know, before Matthew Stafford, I mean, Cooper Cup was was pretty good, right? Last year. Cooper Cup had 92 catches for 974 yards and three touchdowns. This year, 145 catches, uh, one almost a thousand yards more, 1947, and 16 touchdowns. What's the difference? Same Cooper Cup, different quarterback, Matthew Stafford, right? Look at Odell Beckham Jr. Beckham cut by the Browns. You know, everybody has a hard time working with this guy. Some people say he's a prima donna. In 29 games with the Cleveland Browns, Beckham has seven touchdown catches. He had seven touchdown catches for the Rams in 12 games, including that first half 17-yard touchdown. So to me, the proof is in the pudding. Matthew Stafford made those receivers around him better. And to me, that's that's why I think his greatness is being underappreciated. I explained this uh, on a SiriusXM radio show earlier today about Stafford. He's not the rah-rah guy. He's not the Tom Brady get-in-your-face guy. And maybe that works against him. Maybe that worked against him in Detroit. Maybe he wasn't a vocal enough leader. Maybe just being a good guy and a cool quarterback isn't enough when you're trying to lift a franchise like that on your shoulders. Not everybody's Tom Brady. Not everybody's John Elway, right? But I look at Stafford's disposition and it reminds me of Joe Montana. I'm not saying he is Joe Montana, but it reminds me, you know, cool Joe. I mean, Stafford was cool. He's just a guy that you look at him and you can't tell whether his team's winning or losing, right? I mean, and that's who he is. And that pays off. You know, one of the Tony Delk, former UK basketball player, was hosting the show and he said, don't you think Stafford felt all that pressure because the Rams were there two years ago and, you know, they went out and got him. And I said, you know what? I never sensed. I never felt watching that game that Matthew Stafford performed one iota differently because of pressure. 
And, and, you know, he's a flatliner. I think we all said the same thing about JT Daniels at Georgia, right? You'd watch JT and he just, it, nothing rattled him. Nothing got him out of sorts. He just went out there and executed. And I feel like Stafford is that same sort of quarterback. Now, some guys are more emotional. You know, we've seen, you know, I mean, Stetson Bennett cried on the sidelines, right? Some guys are more emotional than others, getting fired up, running around, pumping the fist, right? And that's just nature. Like, I don't think you can fake it. I think you either are or you aren't. And I think Matt Stafford, when I think about him, I think about a very composed, cool quarterback. Pressure was not a factor. Those throws he made were unbelievable, right on the money. I know you've seen the no-look throw by now. I'm just a little upset that it wasn't appreciated at the time. I think Matthew Stafford should have been – I talked to one of my buddies who was at the game, and he said, hey, remember how you were talking about the championship game and how nobody really knew who voted for the MVP of the college football championship game? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, the, we think the same thing happened at the Super Bowl. Like the voting was done with two minutes left, and Cup hadn't even caught that touchdown. So, I mean, who's deciding these MVP? Who's who's doing a ballot in 2021 or 2022? How do we not have them on our computer? It's really simple. Just click, boom. You know, and, and there's no count. Like, who? where's the votes, right? We don't even know. I mean, is it just the best TV story? Is that how these MVPs are being picked now? Because used to be a time the media voted. And we're not convinced that's happening. You know, we, we think TV just grabs who they want. Um, I wouldn't put it past him. Someone else showed me the odds on in, in Vegas for this. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're thinking, you know, who knows? But my point is this. I think I think the Rams could not have won that game without Matthew. They wouldn't have even been in the game without Matthew Stafford. I think that if you put Jared Goff back there, they don't win that game, even with Cooper Cup. But you bring Matt Stafford in there and you win with Matthew Stafford. And to me, Stafford is the key to how good Cup was. And I think that's true of a lot of – I think Peyton Manning had that effect on the receivers in Indianapolis and in Denver, right? And Brady had that effect in New England. Look at New England Patriots offense without Tom Brady, for example. I just think great quarterbacks can really pump up those receivers' numbers and throw them open, make them look better than they are, so to speak. Or, or maybe not make them look better than they are – but it enabled them to reach their peak. And so, you know, people say, well, Cup had two touchdowns. I say, yeah, Stafford threw for three. <clears throat> and Stafford had to do it missing two of his best three receivers and having zero running game. Nothing, nothing. Akers did nothing. Sony did two carries, two yards, 19 carries for 31 yards for the Rams running backs. That game was on Matthew Stafford. And, uh, and if it wasn't going to be him, if you were going to make the argument, that it wasn't Matt Stafford. And the only argument you could make was that the Rams defense won the game. And I would not. Okay, okay, I'll give you that. If you want to make it Aaron Donald, I'm good with that. Because Aaron Donald, the biggest plays of the game, and I'm hearing a lot, of, you know, and again, I, I like Joe Burrow. I wouldn't say I'm a fan of Joe Burrow, but I respect him. I like him. Uh, you know, I, I want more from Joe Burrow. I saw how good he was at LSU. I saw what he did to Georgia's. Great defenses, the way he shredded them, the fourth down runs in Baton Rouge, what he did in the SEC championship against Kirby's defense. I mean, this guy is, is such a playmaker. And, you know, breaks his leg and he's back the next year. I mean, wow, what a competitor, right? And the stories I've heard uh, from the Manning Academy about the kind of guy Joe is, a um, lot of respect. But 
The Bengals are at midfield facing a third and one. There's time for them to drive and score a winning touchdown or at the very least kick a, a game-tying field goal because that, that Bengals kicker, Evan McPherson, he wasn't missing. You saw that. I mean, that guy was money. I mean, he was right down the middle throughout the playoffs. So you get within 50 yards. I think they're 16 yards away, and they're facing the third and one at the 49. And P. Ryan gets the ball and can't get a yard. You guys know, if you followed me, whether it's on the On the Beat program on Monday night or when I used to do Friday Night Mike, you know there's a frustrated former high school running back inside of me who's been blessed to cover the best running backs in college football throughout his career. And when a guy can't get a yard, it really, really upsets me because I really believe that any great running back can get a yard. I think you can put your shoulder down. You hit that line of scrimmage. I know that feeling. I can feel it just talking about it, lowering my shoulder, anticipating the contact, driving my legs. I mean, who's going to stop me from getting a yard three feet with the game on the line? Nobody. All right. I still feel like I can get a yard on anybody. And I've seen great backs do it. And you're telling me that in the Super Bowl on a third and one, not only do you not have your best back in there, Joe Mixon, which I don't understand that, but you're going to give it to P. Ryan and he can't get a yard. And Donald is being blocked. He makes a tackle while he's being blocked. That is unacceptable. You do not deserve to win if you have two plays to get a yard, which they did. P. Ryan, Donald stops. And then Aaron Donald gets in the backfield again, wraps up Burrow, and Burrow just has to fling it. Aaron Donald made two game-winning plays. You could have easily made the case for him to be the MVP. If not Stafford, then give it to Aaron Donald because I don't know if there's anybody else in the NFL that makes that play. Don't know if there's anybody else in the NFL that makes that play. Most valuable player, okay? Cup, honestly, I – I think there's 10 or 12 receivers in the league as good as him. Put him in that situation. Give him that volume of catches. He'll make you. Jamar, I think Jamar Chase was the best receiver in that game. I think he's better. His quarterback just didn't have time to throw. Why? Because of Aaron Donald and the Rams defense. You realize they had five sacks in the third quarter. Man, five sacks. The last time I saw a defense that dominant was that first quarter of the Georgia-Arkansas game when Sam Pittman's Hogs couldn't even breathe. They couldn't even breathe at Sanford State. Remember that? So dominant defenses, you know, kind of a calling card. I mean, we'd all gotten cozy with this idea that offenses were taking over and blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? Now, this is a national championship Georgia team that was all about the defense, all about the defense. How many offenses could you have paired with the Georgia championship defense and won a national title? Truly, how many offenses do you believe in the SEC if you just took that offensive personnel and put them in a Georgia uniform to go with the Georgia defense, how many offenses in the SEC could have won the national championship? Six, five at least, right? Okay, the Rams defense was also very, very good. The reason I give Stafford the credit, though, was because guys were injured and he had to improvise, and he did, and he had no running game. Right. It's so much easier. You know, one of the secrets to the Georgia offense is how well they do on first down. And they stay ahead of the change and in positive down a distance. And that's why their pass game numbers are so efficient. And that would be true of any offense. If you're looking at 
third and seven, third and eight, third and six all night, your pass game numbers are going to stink. Your efficiency isn't going to be good. But if you're looking at third and three, third and four, you know, where that where the defense isn't quite sure that you're throwing the ball or if you're winning by 21 points or 14 or 10. Right. It really jacks up the efficiency numbers when you're not throwing from behind the chains. Right. Well, last night, Matt Stafford was thrown from behind the chains quite often with no running game and was still able to be effective enough to win the Super Bowl. And, and that's why I believe he should have been the MVP of the of the uh, Super Bowl last night. And again, if not him, Aaron Donald. And Cooper Cup's a nice player. But again, I think you, you put a dozen receivers in his shoes and 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 the results. Are, and, and there are times he disappeared. I mean, he was there on the final drive, but like where was he most of the night? Right. It's not like he carried that. T- I mean, Stafford took every snap and that's why quarterbacks inherently, uh, you know, have better odds for winning uh, MVP honors. So I, I'll get off my soapbox on that. But I love the story of Matthew Stafford. I love the the persistence, you know, playing for the Lions for 12 years, never winning a playoff game, goes to the Rams. You know, uh, you know, Robert Woods gets injured in November. They find, you know, Beckham has been cut by the Browns, so they pick up Beckham. And they, they, they continue. But it took a little bit of luck. I mean, if we're going to be honest about it, it, took a little bit of luck. And I forget the name of the 49ers DB, but if he doesn't drop that pick, the 49ers are probably in that football game. But, but that is just the nature. That's just the nature of football, man. And you don't got to apologize when you get the breaks. Listen, Georgia fans know that better than anybody. Alabama got the breaks to win over Georgia in 2017 and 2018. They got a lot of big breaks. You didn't hear Bama apologizing for it either. Now, 2019, they were just better, right? This year, you know, they spanked Georgia hard in the SEC championship game. They just did. They were just a better team. But then Georgia, with their resilience, you know, with their level of buy-in, with their leadership, goes down there and just cleans Michigan's clock in the Orange Bowl and then has that rematch with Bama and that defense digs in. And they don't let Bryce Young get in the end zone but one time, six times Bryce Young's at the 30 or deeper. And that defense just keeps pitching and, and digging in and giving time for that offense like a car that won't start. You know, you're just waiting. When is this offense going to do anything? Finally, two minutes left in the third quarter, they get in the end zone. But if the defense hadn't been balling out, wouldn't have mattered. Game been over by then, just like it was in Atlanta. So I think defenses are the common theme between the Georgia championship and the Rams championship. Uh, difference was in this one, though, Stafford came through with a game-winning drive, missing pieces, right? Missing pieces. And 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 to me, that was the difference. And uh, so I, I enjoyed it for Matthew. I'm glad for him, his wife, his family. You know, I know everyone is, you know, and, and by the way, Matthew did end up tied uh, it with Trevor Lawrence for most interceptions this year. So I understand, you know, his career record's 87, 95, and 1. I understand the doubters. They've got their argument. But I saw the greatness last night. I saw Matt stay cool. I saw his lead, lead his team to a championship, make the guys around him better, gave you the numbers for Beckham and Cup, how much more effective they were with Stafford as their quarterback. So I, I think I made a pretty good case for him as MVP. As far as the uh, Hall of Fame, there, it's to be determined. I mean, it's just going to depend, you know, who else is out there, you know. And, and then I asked myself this question. Is Matt Stafford going to get back to a Super Bowl? is Joe Burrow. I'm not sure either one of them will. I'm really not. When you go back and look at the playoffs, as I said, if the 49ers DB doesn't drop that pick, 
in the NFC Championship game. The 49ers are in the Super Bowl. It was about eight minutes left. I know you know what play I'm talking about. Uh, Burrow, will the Bengals get back? I, man, I don't even know if they're going to you know make the playoffs next year. I just you know they've got work to do on that offensive line. I know they've got a lot of young players. I know Joe Burrow's mega talented guy, but the AFC has so much talent. You know, the Bills, to me, I thought the Bills were the best team in football this year. I really did. Um, still a heartbreaking loss to head to the Chiefs. I thought the Chiefs, uh, you know, the home field, you know, might have made an advantage for them there. Might have been the winning edge. The Chiefs, to me, have kind of jumped the shark a little bit. Um, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, Tyree Kill, is, you know, Travis Kelsey, Mahomes. These are talented guys, but I just – feel like the Chiefs have lost their edge a little bit. I like the Buffalo Bills. It's a hungry franchise. It's a humble franchise. I think Josh Allen is a monster. And, uh, you know, they just just a little a little bit of tweaking, and I think they're going to be back in the AFC Championship uh, contention next year. So the Bengals, though, I don't know. Might have been the one time. Remember when Marino made it and brought the Dolphins to the Super Bowl? We all thought we'd see more Dan Marino. He never made it back. Never made it back. And as I've told you guys before, somebody that when I was growing up, you know, younger, I, I liked John Elway. You know, he was the guy. And, man, how many times did I have to watch the Broncos lose in Super Bowls? Elway would get him there. But like Burrow, he just didn't have the support. You know, Elway didn't have the receivers, right? Burrow didn't have the offensive line. And they just couldn't get over the hump against better teams. And that Rams defense was so, so good. So impressed with that Rams defense. So we'll wait and see to see if he gets back uh, to the Super Bowl. Right now, I would say that either Matt Stafford or Joe Burrow, one of those two, will not get back to the Super Bowl. One of those two has played their only Super Bowl game. I'm not sure which one right now, but I would make that prediction. I would take that bet. So those are some of my thoughts on the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm not sure what you guys are saying here. I'm looking, uh, I see Wayne Malcolm's talking about Stafford, reminding him of, uh, of Matt Ryan, every play looks like it's so hard to execute. Well, you know, Wayne, I'll tell you, like I said, uh, you know, Cooper Cup got a lot of attention after Stafford had two of his best players go out, two of his top targets, and and it was hard to execute. It, it, it does take time for the plays to develop. Um, I see Marshall Colbert, his prediction is Joe Burrow is not going back. Uh, very interesting that Marshall Colbert says that Burrow is not going back. Uh, you know, Woody's hearing rumors that Calvin Ridley might be going to the Chiefs. That would be interesting. Um, Terrius Jackson says, why do people keep saying that if he would have caught the ball? 9.55 left. Well, because the Rams ended up scoring on that drive. And if the 49ers would have made that pick, uh, Arterius, I think it changes the momentum of the game. Greater likelihood that the 49ers score. In my opinion, that was a huge momentum swing, you know, just like in the national championship game. If Jalen Carter doesn't block that field goal, I'm not sure Georgia wins, right? That was a huge momentum swing because it's what happened after that. Jalen blocks the field goal. Next play, Cook goes 67. In the case of that play against the 49ers, the DB drops the interception. Next play, I think Stafford threw about a 30 or 40-yard pass downfield, and the Rams were in business. So momentum plays such a game of momentum out there. Uh, you know, little things can make a huge, huge difference. So going back through the comments here, uh, what else we got here, guys? Um, I see Kirby's visor. This is one of our popular posters. Uh, I wish I knew their real name. I would I would address you, uh, but said that uh, Stafford's a Hall of Fame quarterback. 
and says if he'd been with decent franchises, he would have eye-popping stats. Well, he actually had eye-popping stats with a bad franchise. And sometimes a quarterback can turn a team into a decent franchise. I mean, the Lions did everything they could to build around Matthew Stafford for 12 years. At what point do you say it's the quarterback? And I'm not saying that it was. Maybe it was just bad luck, bad luck, bad luck, bad luck, bad luck, bad luck, bad luck. But they literally tried to build a franchise around Matthew Stafford. And maybe the secret was they never had a defense. Like, you know, a great defense helps every quarterback, right? Let's be honest about it. You got a great defense. I mean, remember Trent Dilford and the Buccaneers? Great defense. Great defense. Didn't have to do much, right? So I think a great defense, you know, can make a quarterback look pretty good. And I'm not saying it was all defense. Again, I, I give Matt Stafford credit for executing down there. Um, Woody Farley with a question. We're talking Bulldogs. We're talking year of the dog here. And we've talked about uh, the Super Bowl. Let's mention Leonard Floyd here, Woody, before I get to your question about how many first-rounders. Got to mention Leonard Floyd. He had nine and a half sacks this year for the Rams. Had a big sack in this game. The Rams had a Super Bowl record seven sacks in that football game. Again, five in the third quarter, right when it looked like the Bengals had an opportunity to pull away. That Rams defense kept him in the football game. Big sack for Leonard Floyd last night and five stops as well. Uh, now, someone was asking me about the NFL dogs. There's 14 guys that are going to be going to the NFL Combine March 1st through March 6th. And uh, I will be up there. Uh, Dog Nation will be represented. We, we do that. We've invested in that. We feel like that's a great opportunity to talk to players Oftentimes get a lot of great insight from these guys, get interviews with them that we wouldn't normally get. Uh, Georgia doesn't do a lot of interviews here. And when the players do talk, uh, most of them have been instructed not to say much, if anything. I don't know if my head's crooked or my hat's crooked, or maybe it's just the camera angle, but it's driving me crazy. Um, I'm not sure. So, I, yeah, I did. See, look, I got a souvenir up in Indianapolis. I got the national championship game uh, hat to commemorate being there and covering that game, an event hat. Uh, I like event hats. I used to get Daytona hats when I used to cover the Daytona 500. Next weekend. Um, so NFL dogs. So I, it, by memory, I could go down the list. But I was asked by Woody specifically about first-round NFL dogs. I think, I think that there is at least three for sure. Okay, the slam dunk first-rounders to me – are Jordan Davis, Nicobe Dean, I'm writing this down, Nicobe, and Trayvon Walker. I think those are the guys you can take it to the bank that those three guys are going to be selected in the first round of the NFL draft. Now, what order? You know, there's a little concern about each one. I think that of those three guys, I think Trayvon Walker is going to have the best combine in terms of just eye-popping numbers, metrics, off the charts. We know what type of athlete that he is. Didn't put up substantial numbers at Georgia. I think it had a lot to do with the position that he played. Um, but Trayvon Walker to me is a guy that's going to really jump up at the NFL combine. Uh, not sure if he moves ahead of Nicobe and Jordan. So Nicobe was the most productive guy all year. Nicobe was the brain center of the defense. Nicobe's a guy that when he sits down to talk football is going to blow these scouts' mind. They're going to love him. They're going to know this is a big-time gamer. This is a guy that runs side to side. Uh, this is a great open field tackler. This is a great team leader. Um, 
he's just a little short, right? He's just, if he was an inch taller or two inches taller, you know, I would feel slam dunk 10, top 10. And he still may go slam dunk top 10. Um, all it takes is one team to like it. I mean, he is a, he is a top 10 talent. But they look at those metrics. I mean, they, they just do. You know they do. And so I'm I'm hesitant to say if Nicobe goes in the top 10. I think he goes in the first round for sure. Jordan Davis, here's another one. Okay, so Jordan, big space eater, you know, 6'6". Six, six, what's he going to weigh in at? That's the million-dollar question or the $2 million or the $10 million question. Big questions, where does Jordan weigh in? He's training right now. We know he's got good footwork. We know he's got good quicks. But he's not an Aaron Donald. He's not a guy that's going to get the sacks. He's more of a first and second down guy, not a third down guy. Um, do you invest a first rounder and just a run as a just a run stuffer, even if he's a preeminent run stuffer? Uh, we know he's trying to lose weight. We know that he's going to try to run a good 40 time. Uh, how much does he weigh in at? Right. Kirby told us at Georgia he played between 340 and 355 different times. Is he going to come in at 320? Is he going to come in at 330? Big question mark around Jordan Davis. I do think he is a first-round lock, though. Now you get into some other guys that I think are borderline first-rounders. And I saw someone mention, and I can tell who's read the Dog Nation stories. You know, I was down at the Senior Bowl, and Devontae Wyatt tore it up. I mean, he was unblockable. He's so fast off the snap. And when you're that quick off the snap and you can get into gaps, uh, he's strong. He moved ahead of the uh, Williams guy from Alabama that was talking about the SEC running through Alabama still. That trash talk down there at the Senior Bowl was amazing. Devontae's a borderline first-rounder, right? People are going to look at his time at Georgia. Um, you know, had, had an off-the-field deal earlier in his career. You know, probably, you know, a lot of people overlook that. Some teams will, some teams won't. These little things like that, okay, off-the-field issues, right? And Georgia, oh, why are you bringing that? Look, the NFL does their homework, okay? They invest millions of dollars, millions and millions of dollars into researching their players. They know about every parking ticket, every speeding ticket, every arrest, every off-field incident, every off-field investigation. They know all of it. They know all of it. So me bringing things up like off-field stuff from Demonte Wyatt or Schaefer or Cook, they already know it, okay? They already know it. And, and it – it goes into a little file. And then there's somebody that's sitting there and they got to decide between two guys, right? You know, it's like when you're going to buy a car, you say, oh man, I can't decide these. Well, this one had a little fender bender three years ago. Probably didn't do anything. Well, yeah, but you know, and Nick Saban had a great quote on this, uh, a great take when he was explaining how NFL teams evaluate players. He said, NFL teams are looking for reasons not to choose you. He says, there's, and guys, and there's butt guys, right? You know, you can say, oh, you know, he ran a good 40, great vertical, very productive player, but he had an off, you know, those butt guys. Then there's and guys, you know, great player, you know, 4440, vertical jump, and he does volunteer work. At the, you know, you want to be an and guy and not a butt guy, right? Jordan Davis is an and guy. Nicobe Dean is an and guy. Trayvon Walker is an and guy, right? You know, James Cook, a butt guy, you know? So, you know, you, you just got to, it, and it's up to every team. And there's not a right or wrong answer here. You're not right or wrong when you make a projection. Because ultimately, it's up to that team to decide. They sit down across from that player. Not only do they look at their past, but 
they interview them and they get a feel for it. Is this sound like somebody that's going to come in here because there's a lot more autonomy in the NFL? And what are you going to do with that extra time? Well, wonderful story, Eric Stokes, an and guy. How proud is everyone in Dog Nation of Eric Stokes and what he did as a first-round pick? How important was that for for uh, excuse me for Eric Stokes to have the sort of performance that he did for the Green Bay Packers of the first rounder? I think it was hugely important. We had Eric Stokes on this show last year. I know you guys remember that. And Eric Stokes, how how much did you love his modesty last year? when he admitted that Aaron Smith was faster than him. How many guys on the verge of the NFL draft would admit that anybody was faster than them on the team? But Eric Stokes just kept it so real and went down there and then ran his own 4-2 number. Remember that? I had him on the show. I said, Eric, I know you're going to run a low 4-3. And he's smiling, thinking, I'm going to run a 4-2, Mike. And he did. Pretty fascinating. So Devontae Wyatt, a borderline first-rounder. I see that Hugh Nash is talking about George Pickens. I agree. I agree. And I'm going to be real interested to see what George Pickens does at the combine because George is not per se a, uh, a, a speed guy when it comes to straight line speed. He's fast enough. You saw the unbelievable catch he made. As I said in one of my articles recently, you know, two or three plays we're always going to remember from the college football championship game, George Pickens in the 52-yard catch. Definitely one of them. Fascinating catch. One of the biggest plays of the game. Really the only heartbeat of offense that Georgia had the whole first half was that George Pickens catch for the most part. Uh, all it takes is one guy to like you. Now, Pickens has got to go to a team that's got a guy like a Matthew Stafford. People ask me all the time, why was Pickens so much better with JT Daniels than he was with Stetson Bennett? Because JT Daniels was a kind, was a target quarterback that could throw you open. JT could see which side you were open on, and he could spot the ball there. Much more accurate thrower, stronger arm, right? Stet is more of a mobility, buy some time, uh, can make the runs, uh, you know, makes defenses account for him, almost like a 12th offensive player. Not that pinpoint target thrower like JT. and no, But Stet could also throw the deep ball. You saw that. Stet put that air on the ball to AD, started throwing a much, much better deep ball last season than he did the year before. And I'll be very interested to see how much more progress he makes as he will be the first team quarterback going into spring drills. And after our halftime here, just a moment, we're going to talk more about the current Bulldogs, who's coming back. I've got a stock report to give you on returning players, but, but finishing up on NFL dogs. So Pickens has got to go to the right team. Um, you know, his elevation, the way he uses his body uh, talking with Darian Kendrick at the senior bowl, Kendrick told me, that what George does that's so impressive is George is an incredibly smart receiver. He knows what the DB is trying to do. He knows how they're lining up. He can read you well, and he can use his body and, and respond accordingly like an NFL receiver, like Cooper Cup did last night on that game-winning touchdown pass. So uh, Pickens, I think a borderline first-rounder. Devontae Wyatt, a borderline first-rounder. After that, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, you know, there was some talk about Darian Kendrick. I don't think Darian had a great senior bowl, so I'm going to drop him out of that possible first-round talk for right now. But I'll say Devontae and George are two guys that could go in the first round. Now, second round is really interesting to me. Um, you know, we mentioned White and Pickens. They could go in the second round if they don't go in the first. Who else could go in the second round? I'll tell you, the, the guy that so many of these scouts were impressed with down there 
was Justin Schaefer. And some even elevated Justin Schaefer over Jamari Salyer. And that was that was fascinating to me. Now, that was based on the Senior Bowl. We still have the combine ahead. Obviously, there's a whole season's worth of game film. There's sit-down interviews. But Justin Schaefer, talking to Justin Schaefer, struck me as a guy that is evolving later in his career. And Kirby Smart has used the example of bamboo. And I don't know this. This is Kirby's example. So Kirby's the one that knows how bamboo grows. But according to Kirby, in one of his talks, bamboo grows at different rates and players grow at different rates. And some grow earlier and some grow later in their career. And I'm feeling like Justin Schaefer, everything I'm hearing is that he's really starting to evolve. So could Schaefer, uh, could Salyer, uh, Lewisine is a name I've seen pop up. You know, I'm not sure what type of 40 Lewis is going to run. Uh, I think the combine is going to be very important to him. He wasn't at the senior bowl. He wasn't eligible. Uh, Lewis seen kind of a tweener. He would have to go to the right team, right? So is Lewis seen possibly? Uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm just not sure. Uh, Channing Tindell, Channing Tindall uh, had a great senior bowl. Not a lot of talk. Sometimes teams don't want to talk about guys they like a lot. They just kind of want to say, geez, I hope let's not talk a lot about this guy. Let's not leak what we think of Tyndall. Maybe he's on everybody. I would keep an, uh, an eye on Channing Tyndall. And then, you, you know, you're talking with these guys, Schaefer, Salyer, Seen, Tyndall. Uh, Quay Walker was injured. That's why, Qu that's why Quay didn't take part in the Senior Bowl. I like Quay a lot. I like his size. I thought he was just phenomenally physical tackler. Um, I thought he was decent, not great in coverage. Um, probably behind Tyndall in the draft order. But again, a lot of this is going to have to do with the team um, that he's going to play for, right? He's got to fit the scheme. He's a little bit bigger, stronger, more um, more physical linebacker for, for in play and inside. So, you know, Quay and Tyndall, you know, to me, those are, you know, third, fourth round guys, both of them maybe. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of the early goings of the NFL. The backs, I mean, I really, really wish we would have seen Cook at the Senior Bowl. They really – a lot of teams were eager to see James down there. They could use him in so many different ways. You saw Daryl Henderson last night for the Rams. You, you kind of see Cook as a guy that, you know, he's an effective enough runner that you've got to respect that when he's in there. But he's really, really good catching the ball out of the backfield. Um, I, I really wish we could have seen him at the Senior Bowl. I think he would have been able to move his stock up quite a bit in that environment. I think his agent, in my opinion, and again, he's hired somebody else to be the agent. I'm not the agent. But I think his agent made a big mistake by not letting James go there and compete with Alabama's Brian Robinson. I think James would have looked good next to that Alabama back, showing off his versatility, his speed, his quickness. And yet he's still physical enough to pass block and run between the tackles. I think his agent made a mistake there on that. And yes, there is plenty of film. I get that. Right. But the scouts want to see these guys go head to head. There's nothing like seeing them compete head to head and i think this is funny that that some people say oh the only people that care to see him. no you don't understand it's not that it hurts cook it's just he lost an opportunity to help himself that's why we would have liked to have seen him teams will and you're right nfl teams there's plenty of guys to choose from right and a lot of them already had their mind made up but there were some you know probably four to six teams there that are in the james cook sweepstakes that kind of wanted to see a little bit more right it's kind of like saying Man, you mean that car's not here to test drive? I really wish I could have taken it for a test drive. 
yeah, that's the car I want. But now that I'm trying to decide between two, I kind of wanted to test drive them side by side. That's kind of the analogy I would make there. And, and so I've just covered three, five, eight, ten guys, right? So the final five guys would be Cook, uh, Zamir, uh, uh, let's see, uh, Fitzpatrick, and Camarda, and I'm missing one, and Darren Kendrick. And there you go. I think Georgia can get 15 guys drafted. That would be a brand new NFL record. LSU currently has the record that Joe Burrow group in 2020. Tigers had 14 guys drafted. I think Georgia can get 15 guys drafted. I hope to get Jim Nagy on here next week. Jim's a former scout with the New England Patriots, the Seattle Seahawks, the Green Bay Packers, and he's the executive director of the Senior Bowl. Jim Nagy has been very good to us uh, at Dog Nation with our player rankings and been very accurate. Uh, in the past. So I see Scott Anderson. What if he tore his ACL? Well, I don't know, Scott. What if he tore his ACL running sprints or lifting weights or walking out the front door? They don't tackle at the senior bowl in the practices, right? You know, he could have tore his ACL any, any day of the week. Uh, it's all a risk. It's all a gamble. It's a gamble. If you practice, it's a gamble. If you don't, it's like, it's like putting your money in the bank. It's a money if you put your money in the bank and draw 1% interest. It's a money if you put your money in the stock market and hope to make 7%, but there's a chance you could lose it, right? It's all a gamble. Life is a gamble, Scott. It's a matter of where you choose to invest and how you choose to train. And there were plenty of first-rounders. Jermaine Johnson, who will probably be a top 15 pick, was at the Senior Bowl competing, wanting to show the NFL teams how dynamic he was. Why? Because Jermaine Johnson wanted to compete. That's what he chose to do. There will be time to run the 40 later. Jordan Davis did not go. Why? Because I think Jordan Davis really does need to try to lose weight. And losing weight and playing football at the same time is not necessarily a good idea. That is a different training regimen. So there's a lot of different ways that we could look at this. I understand, you know, the agent playing it safe. But in my opinion, I think James right now is a third or a fourth rounder. I think if he would have gone to the senior bowl with his talent, I think he could have elevated into the second round. That's what I think personally. Again, there's no right or wrong answers. We don't know. There could be an NFL team going, no, we've already decided we're going to take him in the second round. We didn't need to see him. Or there could be some teams going, you know what? Yeah, we really wanted to see him. And now we're just not too sure, you know, and I think it's still to be determined, you know, what these players do at the combine how they do in their interviews, how they do in the workouts with the teams. The only difference is that you can't go side by side. That's what the senior bowl gives you. Some guys don't want the side by side comparison. Zamir White probably didn't want to go side by side with Brian Robinson. Robinson is a bigger, stronger runner than Zamir. It probably made sense strategically for Zamir not to go side by side with Brian Robinson, right? Conversely, Devontae Wyatt wanted to go side-by-side side with Fedarian Williams, the Alabama defensive tackle. I think he knew he would outshine him, and he did. And I think Channing Tindall wanted to go there and show how much faster he was than all these other linebackers that are on the draft board in the second, third, and fourth rounds. So it's a gamble. It's a poker game, and everybody has to make their decisions for whatever reason. And right now, right now, is where we all take a moment to appreciate the decision that Ingles made to continue to serve us through that difficult time during the pandemic. Ingles, always there for us, there for us tonight, there for us tomorrow, and here for us right now. Let's take a moment to recognize our sponsor, Ingles. 
It's in our hearts to feel for the real There's been ups and downs, turnarounds Good days and some bad But we stand together for worse and for better We'll always have your back Community strong. I know we always appreciate that spot from Ingalls. They do such a great job in the community, and certainly uh, we appreciate them in here. Um, I know you guys appreciate them as well, and, and certainly appreciate that, and appreciate the following. I, I like to look at the comments and and look. You got to know your audience, right? Right. So let's let's just. I always hit the reset because I think with Georgia's success, and I think with Georgia's national championship that the audience grows and we have a lot of new people in the audience. And if you're new to the show, welcome. Or if you've only been following dog nation the last month, we appreciate it. And you know, all of us at dog nation have our different personalities, right? Brandon's got the squirrel and can tell you how many days it's been since Florida won. And, you know, I like Connor with his analytical, uh, his numbers, certainly Jeff with recruiting and, and I'm, I'm, I'm the least talented one because all I can do is just sit here and, and, and shoot out my truth serum and just because I'm not talented enough to dress it up. Okay. This is what I have seen and observed in the perspective that I've shared is somebody that's covered a lot of different programs. And, you know, there's the downside of getting old is maybe I'm not as fast as I was in the 40. And maybe I don't make the diving catch on the softball field that I routinely once made. The upside is when you've been around and you've seen a lot of different things, you get a perspective. And you get a little bit more depth of knowledge and appreciation and ability to maybe judge. You know, you get a better feel, I think, for players. And certainly this Georgia football team this year was special. It's only the second national championship team that I've covered in the entire 30 years I've been doing this. I covered the 98 Tennessee team. I covered this team. I've covered other special teams, covered an 11 and Auburn team in 93, covered a Rose Bowl Michigan State team. Um, a lot of top five, a lot of top 10, covered some great coaches in all these different sports. Uh, and this year's Georgia team was special, but not every guy was the best in the country at his position. Now, as a fan base, these are beloved athletes to you. And sometimes when I say something like the Alabama running back, Brian Robinson was better than Samir White, people, I'll fight you for that. Samir was better. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. Watch the game. Look at who's breaking tackles. Look at who's carrying guys. Zamir was very good. Zamir was a fan favorite. I think Zamir is going to get drafted, and I think he's going to make an NFL team. I think he's a little bit better than Elijah Holyfield was. But I think Brian Robinson carried that offense. He was the only back they had. He didn't have the benefit of splitting the carries four ways. He is bigger than Zamir. I don't know who's going to run a faster 40 time, but Brian's 10, 15 pounds heavier. Uh, and again, I'm just I'm looking at it objectively. I not having a dog in the fight. If you're asking me who the better short yardage back is, that's what I'm going with between the tackles. Zamir may catch the ball better. Zamir was great in pass protection. So was Robinson. A couple of fifth year guys. Let them sort it out. I'm just shooting opinions. Again, not every guy is the best at his position. I thought James Cook was special, right? When I looked at the MVPs of last season and the most indispensable players from 2021. James Cook was in my top five. I'm not sure that Georgia wins a national championship without James Cook. I think he was that special. I think he made a lot of big time plays and big time moments. 
And I think that he was a key chess piece for Todd Munkin. And that, that back that can catch the ball. And then James showed me and all of you that he could also run between the tackles. It was a remarkably good year for James Cook. What's going to happen at the NFL level? I don't know. Going to be interesting. Going to be interesting. So uh, I want to go into my um, – I haven't published this story yet. So I'm going to give you guys some juice before I even print it. In uh, this story, I'm looking for it right now. This is my off-season stock report. Like if you were talking to an investor, I'd say, these are the stocks that I would tell you to invest in tomorrow. So this is my off-season stock report. And stock soaring. If there's one player that I could invest, you say, if Mike, if you had $100 and players were stocks that would go up or down, who would you invest in? Slam dunk, Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter looks like a young Aaron Donald to me. Jalen Carter looks like a future NFL star. Jalen Carter is so incredibly dominant. Unbelievable. Uh, I just can't say enough about Jalen Carter answering text messages while I'm uh, doing a show. Multitasking here. Apologize for that. That's how we roll. I'm a reporter. I got to take care of my sources in addition. So Jalen Carter is at the top of my stock soaring. I, I feel like he's going to have an All-American year. Um, he won't be a preseason All-American because a lot of the guys that vote on that based on what they did last year, which isn't always a great idea. But I think enough guys in the SEC listen to us guys at Georgia when they're asking people like me, hey, who should I vote for? Anybody from Georgia? Say, make sure you got Jalen Carter. Put him on your ballot. Brock Bowers, no kidding, right? No kidding. No kidding. Told you on the show a few weeks ago, Brock was going to have offseason surgery. Today, the news came out. He's going to miss spring drills. It's official. Connor Riley with the story on that. You want to check that out. Uh, Brock Bowers, stock still soaring. The safety valve, how many times did Brock Bowers bail out the quarterbacks with great catches, runs after the catch, seemingly always open, uh, a guy that knew how to use his body, a guy with incredible hands. Can't say enough about Brock Bowers. Without a doubt, without a doubt, Brock Bowers was the offensive MVP of last year's Georgia football team. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. The most indispensable player on the team last year was Brock Bowers. Uh, Cedric Van Pran, another one I really, really like. Not just what I see from Cedric on the field, but what I hear from him. This guy's a leader. This guy strikes me. He reminds me a lot of Jamari, only he's got more of an edge. I mean, Cedric Van Pran is a guy. I got a feeling when, when we're watching these press conferences in the next couple of years, Cedric is a guy that will tell you exactly how he feels. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to that sort of uh, that sort of leader. I think Georgia needs that. I think there's a leadership vacuum, and this is what I mean. When you lose, what do they have, 18 different game captains last year? Think about that. 18 different players were team captains at some point in the year. 18, right? They lost a lot of those guys. And you're going to need to fill the gap with some players that are going to have that same level of buy-in, that same level of accountability to one another, uh, that same sort of on-field, in-the-huddle leadership. Cedric Van Pran, one of those players. Adani Mitchell, A.D. Mitchell. This is a guy I heard about last year when I went out to California uh, when JT Daniels took the uh, Georgia receivers or met the Georgia receivers out there and whatever in May and they you know played catch on the beach or whatever they did to you know get the team close. Uh, the name that I kept hearing out there was A.D. Mitchell, A.D. Mitchell, A.D. Mitchell. 
the, the quick twitch, you know, he got all those reps in the spring game. I thought that that was just a byproduct of George Pickens being out. Um, no, I mean, this is a guy with quick release, twitchy moves. You, you saw how he could stretch the field. You remember the 41, was 41 yard catch in the national title game. He reaches back over the defender. I mean, this is a special guy. Could this be the first thousand yard receiver in Georgia history next season? I wonder, I think that AD Mitchell has a chance because I think Stetson in the Georgia offense um, is going to throw the ball around more. And I do think right now it's Stetson. I do, you know, uh, Munkin told some boosters at a function a few weeks ago. Uh, Noah fans are butts about it. Stetson's the guy. It's not like some open competition where you're going to split it up and we're going to pick who's best. That's not how they're doing it. They're just saying Stetson, you're the guy. And then it's going to be up to, to Brock and Carson to try to sort it out for a second team. And I think the loser transfers. Christopher Smith is another guy that made a huge jump. Uh, remember, he, you know, Richie LeCount gets in the motorcycle accident. Let's be honest. That's pretty much when the 2019 ship sailed for a championship. I still think if Richard doesn't get hurt, I hate to play the what if games, but I still think if Richard doesn't get, get hurt, they beat Florida the next week. But he gets hurt. Christopher Smith, not really ready, not really ready. You know, and why would he be? He's not going to play. He's the backup. You know, you always, it's easy to say every guy needs to stay ready, be ready to go. It's hard to get ready when you know you're not going to play or when you know there's a very low light. But to Christopher's credit, between 2020 and 2021, and I love the story, you know, he bulked up. He worked incredibly hard. He was ready for the moment against Clemson to pick six. Uh, to me, one of the most important plays of the season and was having a phenomenal year. And then he even played through an injury last year. Remember his knee at the end of the year, he was not 100%. He persevered through that. Uh, I see Christopher Smith as a great leader. We enjoy him in the interviews. Uh, he's a tremendous communicator. Uh, I think he's a future NFL player. And I think that his offseason this year will take him up even another level. Uh, being coached up by Kirby Smart back there. I think Kirby's done a great job with Christopher Smith. Stock up, Stetson Bennett, uh, a team leader. I mentioned there were 18 captains last year. He was not one of them. I will tell you that I think Stetson will be voted a team captain this year at some point. Uh, he's got big game experience. Stetson turns 25 in October. I know there's some controversy. Wikipedia says he's one year younger. His dad corrected us, uh, told Jeff Centel that, yes, he is 24 right now. He'll be 25 in October. Uh, he's going to get the majority of the reps in spring. And I think, you know, there's they, they're convinced that there's still a ceiling. Stetson can get even better. Now, can he get better enough to play in the NFL? I, I don't know that. I, I, I don't know that I expect that. But he doesn't have to be. You don't have to be an NFL quarterback, uh, you know, to be a good college quarterback or, or a good team leader. And I think Stetson's got it. Jack Podlesny, this is a guy that I thought got off to a shaky start. Uh, missed that field goal against Clemson. I think he missed a field goal in another early game. Boy, by the end of the year, though, Podlesny was automatic. I think he kind of went through a metal, um, you know, kind of a little mental mind game that kickers go through. You can tell when they're going through it, and you can tell when they've conquered it, right? And I feel like Podlesny has conquered that. I think this guy's a rising star. Uh, Kenny McIntosh, you know, I talked a moment ago about the importance of James Cook and his ability, his versatility enough of the threat of the run, but also the ability to catch the ball in the backfield. I think that's Kenny McIntosh. Um, I think Kenny uh, is on a line with James. He could be better before it's over with than James. Um, they put up some stats. Kenny was uh, fourth in the SEC in yards after contact. Uh, I see Kendall Milton was seventh in that department. Kendall, another guy to keep your eye out for, another guy in my rising stock list. And Broderick Jones, 
I loved it when Broderick came in and played left tackle. Now it was tough to see Jamari miss part of his championship season, but you know, in a way it worked out because Broderick Jones needed that work. He needed to play. He wanted to play. And I thought he did outstanding. I think this off season Broderick can get stronger where he was lacking was in the physicality and the run game. They wanted him to be stronger, more powerful. I think we're going to see a better version of Broderick Jones and all the CC version. He's going to come to fruition as that five-star. And I know we've all been waiting on that. And then Jamon Dumas Johnson. Listen, every time this guy got in the game, I, I remember saying, who is that? Who is that? You know, this guy uh, was impressive. And I think that he is a capable leader. He doesn't have the same amount of reps that Kobe did. Because Nicobe, remember Monty Rice got injured, was kind of injured often his final year. He was kind of dealing with that. I think he was dealing with the foot. Uh, whereas Jamon Duma Johnson didn't have that many reps because you know Quay was out there and and uh, and Nicobe, but he looks more than capable, and, and I'm excited about that guy. So those are some of the guys that when I think about next year and, and I get excited about next year's team, because I think that Georgia is going to win the East again. I think they're going to go back to the SEC championship game. Uh, I'll be real interested to see how far the offense has come. How dynamic will it be? Because they're going to have to outscore Alabama. Alabama is going to be loaded, you know, and now they got Jermaine Burton. Uh, you know, Darren Kendrick told me he felt like Jermaine Burton was every bit as good as Jameson Williams and Mechie when I was down at the senior bowl talking to him. He thinks Burton's every bit as good as those two guys. Again, has to do with who your quarterback is, right? And Saban talked about that, you know, that one of the reasons Burton wanted to go is Bryce Young is a really special quarterback. And again, I know that sitting here complimenting Alabama players doesn't exactly make Georgia fans thrilled. You know, but the cool thing about the people that most of the people that watch, you know, my show on Monday nights, they know I'm, I'm just going to tell the truth. I'm going to choose straight. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. So when I give a Georgia player a compliment, you know that it's real. It's not just me saying it because I'm on a Georgia fan show and everybody at Georgia is the best. That's just not true. Right. Alabama's got players, too. I mean, Kentucky's got players. I'll be honest. Kentucky is is a little bit of a concern. If you're Georgia, I think, because, you know, the games in Lexington in November, you know, they play that smash mouth. Chris Rodriguez is back. Their quarterback is back. Uh, you know, what was it last year against Kentucky? Wasn't it like a 13 to seven game at halftime in Sanford Stadium last year? And, and then and then Georgia poured it on. But, uh, you know, Kentucky, one of those teams next year. And, and again, so much of what happens for Georgia is going to be determined by the leadership by the leadership. Uh, I like Greg Childers comment. You know, Greg, I thought the same thing about Bryce Young being injured. I, I said the same thing at the start of last season. I said, there's no way this guy's going to stay healthy. I said, you just can't. He's too small. I said that. So Greg, I'm with you, but you know what? I watched him and this guy is really good. He's really special. He really is smart He's a really smart quarterback and knows how to avoid the contact, gets rid of the ball quick, had a chance to visit with Bryce Young's dad, Craig. And let me tell you, this family is on another level. All right. This is not your typical young quarterback. This kid has wheels spinning fast. All right. He is a great leader. Uh, he sees the field. The arm talent is just stupefying how good his arm talent is. It's just you don't think that a guy that small can have that amount of arm talent. But I sat there at that Auburn-Alabama game, and I still don't know how Auburn shut him out for three quarters. I still haven't figured that one out. 
Actually, I do know how they shut them up for three quarters. They had a great cornerback play on the perimeter, and they were able to keep pressure on Bryce. But I watched him lead Bama 13 plays, 97 yards in a minute and a half, and I was like, that's unbelievable. That And I've covered a lot of uh, Iron Bowls and seen a lot of Iron Bowls, and that was one of the most remarkable Iron Bowl innings I'd ever seen. To see the Alabama quarterback lead his team on that kind of drive at the end, I mean, that dude is amazing. That says so much for the fact that Georgia held Bryce Young to one touchdown on six trips inside the 30-yard line. How good was that Georgia defense? Holy cow. How special was that? I mean, you know, it's just I know the name of the game is scoring, right? And so it's harder to have an appreciation for great defense, but I have covered some great defenses at Alabama, at Auburn, at Tennessee, at Michigan State. And I'm telling you, that Georgia defense that I covered last year, that front seven, bar none, was the best front seven I've ever been around. The back end was a little shaky. The good news was you didn't really run into many quarterbacks that could exploit you. And, and that and it was that kind of year. It made sense. So uh, what a special season, though, for Georgia football in that front seven. And I think next year, you know, starting with Oregon, I think it's going to be special. I think the spring is going to be intriguing. You know, we're going to hear a lot about Stetson Bennett, a lot about the growth that Stetson has. Uh, I know that we're going to be asking about Brock Vandegrift and Carson Beck and Gunnar Stockton. And unfortunately, um, Kirby's the only one that talks. He doesn't let his assistant coaches talk. And players aren't really allowed to say too much about each other. So I don't think we're going to get a lot of feedback on Carson and Brock really until we see the spring game. And then I think when we see the spring game, the G-Day game, April 16th, I think that we're, we're going to be able to watch and see for ourselves and see where these different guys are at. Because Munkin, Munkin is such a great offensive coach. He's so uh, he's just a brilliant coordinator. The way his offense is drawn up, there's always a play open, right? It just requires the proper spacing, the proper discipline, the proper reads. Just can't say enough about this guy. You know who else is impressed with him? The Manning family. And, and, and I said this earlier today, and, and this is not hyperbole. As much as I want to see what's going to happen on the field this spring, I am really curious to see if Arch Manning is going to be in Sanford Stadium on April 16th as a visitor. If Georgia gets Arch Manning, and, and you guys know this, I am not the recruiting guy telling you that every five-star, you know, is, is rainbows and unicorns. That, that's not my scene, right? Never has been. But Arch Manning, the recruitment of Arch Manning transcends the program. If you get the next Manning in line, that is a mark of greatness because the Manning family is football royalty. Archie, Eli, Peyton, the Manning Academy camp they do every year. The best quarterbacks pass through there. I mean, when it comes to quarterbacks and football, the Manning family towers above all. And if you get Arch Manning, the nephew of Eli and Peyton, the son of Cooper, if Georgia gets Arch Manning, that is going to be mind-blowing. It That can open the door for the dynasty that we talk about. Now, other things have to fall into place, right? Georgia's still got to figure out this NIL deal. They don't have the endowment numbers or money that Texas or A&M does. Nobody really does, right? Uh, Georgia has as much as Alabama. So it's going to be up to the business community. It's going to be up to the corporate sponsors. It's going to be up to Josh Brooks and his staff to figure out how do we build this wheel? We know it's legal, but how do you do it? 
because it's it's evolving, right? It's changing. And how involved can the athletic department be? On the one hand, they'll say the athletic department can't have anything to do with it. But but then we see other deals out there where athletic departments do have things. So it, it's very confusing right now. It's in a state of flux. Uh, Georgia is very mindful to stay within the parameter of the rules. Other programs are going to take more chances. Uh, that's why it was so important that Kirby and the Bulldogs won this championship to get this momentum. I think that helps them. Even though I know Kirby said that he doesn't think championships hold the same amount of importance in recruiting now as they did 10 years ago, they still hold some level of importance. I think what does carry a lot of credence is the fact that you've got 14 Bulldogs, program record, most in the nation, 14 players at that NFL combine. That answers your question that, yes, if you come to Georgia, you can get to the NFL. They will develop you here. And I like this staff a lot. I like the hires of BMAC. I like the hire of Bobo, uh, this young linebackers coach uh, who was at Colorado. Uh, I think this is a guy that Mel Tucker was aware of. And, and I think he brings a lot of energy and youth into that linebacker room. And I think you need that because that is a really – that area of the team right there, when we were talking about a cover four last Thursday, that linebacker room, I think, have us all uh, wondering a little bit. I see Woody Farley saying, what if Brock Vandergriff is better? Does Kirby start him? It's not always about who's better. I think we saw that last year. It's about who fits the offense better, right? It's about the best fit. It's not like let's have a, a see who the most – which quarterback fits what Georgia wants to do. Last year, personnel had a lot to do with it. Last spring, we were talking about four and five receiver sets. Well, what happened? Pickens gets hurt. Blaylock's not back. Burton's injured the whole offseason. And I remember Kirby saying it's hard to play four and five receiver sets when you've only got six or seven healthy receivers. Suddenly, you're not a four and five wide receiver team. You're three, you're three tight end team. And now the RPO game means more. And now the mobile quarterback means more. Now Stetson Bennett makes more sense, right? He, the mobility, right, means more than maybe the, the quarterback accuracy. OK, and that's the trade off that you make and made and it worked and you won a championship as things look right now. As we look at the personnel, I think Stetson's still the guy. Now, I don't think it's necessarily, you know, who's because Kirby said it. He's got confidence in all of his quarterbacks and he, he means that. I don't think he would say that if he didn't mean it. But which one gives them the best chance to win, i.e., which one fits into the offense that they're equipped to handle? Right now, Stetson has a ginormous exam, uh, advantage with all the experience he has, all the games that he's played in, good, bad, and different. Um, Stetson's been through everything and seen just about everything. There's a real value when you've got a quarterback with that level of experience. So um, that's kind of my thought on, on why I think Stetson's still the guy and why I would project him to be the guy this season. Not sure what's going to happen with Beck and Vandergriff, obviously these are both very talented players with very high ceilings. When, if they get their opportunity, I don't know how that shakes out. But if Arch Manning is on deck after Stetson leaves next year, I, I don't know how much, you know, and Arch would have to come in and, and, and be a guy they could win with. But I don't think Arch Manning would come in here to sit an entire year. I think he would, part of the reason he would come here would be to play. So could, could Stetson bridge the gap between now and Arch Manning? You know, I don't know. I mean, what or what if Brock Vandergriff's in there and lights it up? Does 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 Arch Manning still want to come? There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of dynamics to this that I don't know the details of. I'll just tell you straight up. I don't know the details. I'm not going to try to tell you anything. I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is that if Georgia gets Arch Manning, the window to a dynasty flies open.
when I say dynasty, I'm talking about future multiple national championships. I think he's that much of a difference-making recruit and player. And I don't get hyped up about recruits often, but what I know about the Manning family, and I know plenty about Peyton, uh, it, it's he's just a different cat, man. It's just a whole nother level, whole nother level when you're talking about the Mannings. That's football royalty. And Georgia, the fact that Georgia is one of the finalists for this kid says everything about the program, right? Uh, look, at I see here that Rich Olnick, Rich is a guy that loves to say things on the comment thread. Thanks for your comments, Rich. Uh, I thought JT played well. I thought he was 7-0. and He currently has the highest passer rating in Georgia history for quarterbacks that have thrown more than 150 passes. I don't know if JT, uh, you know, would have necessarily um, continued to play with that high level, but I do think that you could have won a national title with him. And Rich getting a shout-out and enjoying that. And, you know, folks like Rich kind of motivate me because it just shows how much people need to be informed because they don't know any better. So I'm glad Rich is in here to watch the show and learn more about football. Thanks, Rich. Always appreciate it. Uh, I see Philip Jordan Wells is saying that uh, he believes that Brock, I don't know how he's butchering Vandergriff's name, or uh, Gunnar Stockton can get one or two rings themselves. They could. Um, I could see that for sure. I think that, uh, you know, either one of those guys, if Arch Manning doesn't choose Georgia, which right now I still think Georgia is on the pole. Anything can happen. We know that. There's plenty of time. But I, I think Brock uh, Vandergriff, certainly, or Carson Beck. I, I haven't seen enough of Gunner yet at the college level. And, you know, I was just as skeptical of Brock Vandergriff coming in. Honestly, I was. You know, I was – I remember saying, you know, how can a guy come from private school level 1A – and, and compete with these athletes. And until I saw it with my own two eyes, I was skeptical, right? I had to see it first and I saw it and, and Brock's impressed me. You know, I thought he looked great in the spring game. We really haven't seen a whole bunch more of him since then, but the size, the arm strength, the athleticism. Yeah. I was convinced same with back, right? Had questions about back. Is he thick enough? Is he athletic enough? You know, you go back to that G day game, Carson back looked pretty good. So I think George had, is holding a really good hand with the quarterbacks. My point on the Mannings is I just feel like the name uh, does matter. I do think it matters. I mean, you know, Peyton and Eli are both Super Bowl champions, and Archie was, you know, a college football Hall of Famer. I think there's something to be said for that. It's not everything. doesn't mean that you couldn't win without him. But when you get a, a player of that stature with that name, it does have an effect on other recruits. I know that it did at Tennessee when they landed Peyton Manning. It really opened the door for them to land a lot of great receivers and, and really kind of led to their 98 national title. A lot of those guys that signed on, signed on to be a part of a program that Peyton Manning was running. And I think you'll see that at George. I think the defensive success leads to a lot of these other players signing on because they want to be outside linebackers at Georgia. They want to be defensive linemen or they want to be coached by Kirby Smart. I think Kirby has started – you know, somewhat of a defensive tradition. I mean, the Bulldogs led the nation and run defense in back-to-back -back years. And I don't know where they finished last year, but they were in the top two or three for the most part. So it's, it's pretty fascinating. Um, you know, when you look at how these programs work, everybody, what well, were RBU or what were W were wide receiver, you were library. You're really not all that, right? You got to kind of pick and choose what you prioritize. And Kirby has really put a priority on this defense. And that led to the national championship. You know, he built that defense, um, 
He made the adjustments between the first game against Alabama and the second game. He hires great coaches. I think having Will Muschamp uh, back there is, is a big boost. Another guy that Kirby can look eye to eye with. I think Bobo is another important hire, a guy that can be in the offensive room with Munkin that speaks Kirby's language. You know, sometimes the dynamics I've seen with offensive gurus like Todd Munkin, they don't always connect with defensive minded coaches. Right. They're very they have a very different philosophy on the game and there needs to be some interpretation between them, some buffer. I think Matt Luke has been a, a big part of that. I think Bobo is another guy. Uh, Matt Luke, also a tie to the Manning family, by the way. Um, you know, you take a look at, you know, when Matt was the head coach at Old Miss, uh, you saw the Mannings where uh, Arch Manning was going to football camp there with the Rebels. And so I think that tie also helped. It all goes together. George is moving in a great direction right now. I guess that's the bottom line. The fact that Manning made him one of the finalists, the fact that you just had a Georgia quarterback win the NFL Super Bowl, the fact that you're the defending national champions. I mean, this is a ton of positive momentum for Georgia football right now. Never perfect, never will be. Kirby Smart lives for these challenges. He's never complacent. I saw ESPN said one of their concerns was, you know, is Georgia going to be complacent? I said, you're aren't paying close attention if you think Kirby Smart will be complacent with his program. That's not how he operates. doesn't matter how much his contract he signs for. Kirby Smart wants to win every single play of every single game. And that's why Georgia is a level above right now. And now it's just a matter of continuing that with new faces, new names, new leaders. And they'll be starting that up here in about a month. So look forward to that. So hope everyone had a wonderful Valentine's Day. I'm glad to see oh Sonia Proscott's in here. Oh, hi Sonia, I hope you had a great Valentine's Day. It's good to see Philip Jordan Wells in here um, and all the nice folks with the wonderful comments that they have. Uh, so everyone have a wonderful Monday night. We'll be back later this week talking more football, spitting truth for those that can handle it and for those who can't handle it. Have a great week, everybody.